Thank you for joining us on the Just For Show show, a podcast where we share our common love of theater and performance with fellow artists. I'm Galen Malik. I'm Justin Scheller. And I'm Heidi Swarthout. On this episode, we listen to our mom when she says, go play outside. And Tara Morrison will be here to tell us how she became the King of Fringe. Now, on with the show. Where did you learn how to build stairs? Noises off last year. Oh, of course. Hey, is Alex coming to set build today? Oh, God. I hope not. That's the last thing I need. Alex has been a pain in the neck since the first day of rehearsals. Casting him was the biggest mistake I ever made. Why didn't you replace him? Well, I tried, but he's dating the board president. No, there's no getting rid of him. If there is a merciful God in heaven, Alex was abducted by aliens last night. Looks like the aliens didn't want him either. Here he comes now. I'll be backstage. Good luck. Aggie sweatpants and the V-backs with the straps. Oh, hey Liz. Hi Alex. I didn't think you were coming. Did you have a hard time finding the place? Alex is my old name. I'm Alexander now, and I am late because no one in this town can get my coffee order right. I had to storm out of three different places. That takes a lot of time, Liz. I'm sure it does, Alex. Alexander. Alexander. Actually, you know what? I want to be called Xander now. Xander, sure. So, listen, where do I give my lunch order? Well, actually, we don't have the budget to order out, but... Grant brought bagels for everyone. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work for me. You know, what I really need is, like, a nice baby spinach and watermelon salad. I will see what I can do about that. In the meantime, why don't you help Grant bring out some flats? Fine, I'll help Grant bring out some flats or whatever. Grant! Grant! Oh, hey, Alex. My name is Xander. Look, I just went through this with Liz. Don't make me repeat myself. Okay. I'm surprised to see you here today. Yeah, well, it's a rule that everyone in the cast needs to show up for at least one of these set build things if they can. I ran out of excuses. Well, we're glad you're here. As they say, many hands make light work. Whatever. Look, where are the shoes? The shoes? Yeah, like Liz said, to help you bring out some flats. So, uh, a flat is what we call these fake walls. Here, grab that end and we'll bring it on stage. Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. What's the problem? I can't move a wall, Grant. I mean, look at it. It's like the size of a wall. They're actually much lighter than they look. Great, then you won't need help from me. Listen, I'm a little bit tired. I'm going to go take a nap over on that couch. Suit yourself. Grant, I hope you don't mind that I asked Alex to... Where is Alex? Taking a nap over there. Seriously? That does it. Alex, wake up. What, Liz? Oh, do you have my salad? You are supposed to be helping build the set, not napping. Why are you getting all bitchy with me? You know... I think that you're letting this director thing go to your head, Liz. This director thing is a responsibility. A responsibility to the board, the audience, the cast, and the crew. 
When you slack off at set build, you are letting all of them down. Well, excuse me for practicing some self-care after a bad breakup. I realize that you're much too skanky to ever have a soulmate yourself, but trust me when I say that it hurts when a soulmate leaves you. So you aren't dating the board president anymore? No, I am not. Why are you looking at me like that? Grant, you know all of Alex's lines in the show, don't you? Pretty much. What's going on? Alex, you can go home. We won't be needing you today or any other day. You're out of the show. I'm not getting my salad, am I? Get out. <laughs> So today I want to talk about performing outside, al fresco, as it were, in the elements. Uh, Al natural. No, that's something different. Um, (laughs) Wait a minute. It's not that kind of show. Um, Do you have any stories about outdoor performances? So yeah, no, I I performed with theater hikes. Um, I'm not sure if they're still around. I think they are. But they're a group who performs, you know, all over Chicago and the Chicagoland area. The Morton Arboretum was their big staple place to perform. Um, And essentially, it's the walkabout concept where you perform a whole show, but the show is broken up into scenes and each scene is performed in a different location. So Uh the show that I was in was about the founding of Streeterville the neighborhood in Chicago Mm -hmm. and uh, actually I think the first neighborhood in Chicago and we performed it in the historic Pilsen neighborhood and in that little like square where they have the old historical homes Mm. and we also performed it at a forest preserve. Um, Luckily we had great weather both days because yeah I can't imagine being in like i was a um, irish cop and so i can't imagine being in like these heavy woolen garments and having it rain outside (laughs) oh what time of year was it do you remember what month it was was? in the summer it was in the summer and i mean it's it's obviously when you're outside the acoustics too can be challenging because you're just in this wide open space especially what was nice about the pilsen neighborhood was that we were surrounded by homes old homes so there was some reverberation. So that was good. But I can imagine if you were in a wide open space, you have like zero acoustics and you just have to essentially shout from your diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> so as not to ruin your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, that it was it was a good experience. What about you, Heidi? Well, I was thinking about Troop Strazi because we our model was that we didn't have a home base. We would just sort of go and bring the theater to the people. The concept of the, of John Dryden, who, you know, thought of it originally was um, just, it was supposed to be like guerrilla theater. You know, it's just here it comes. It's now it's here. What are you going to do about it? And so we would perform in the strangest of places uh, inside a bar and there might be a like a 21st birthday party going on in the corner and you're competing against that. Um, but we also had our, our share of performances in um, like beer gardens or, you know, outside at some street festival. And it was very educational. I think it was, it was a good growing tool for me because it, 
taught me to really, you have to really fight for your audience. You have to really fight for their attention, um, both with your voice, with what you're doing. You want them to come gather near, come around. Um, we've, we performed where it was just blazing hot and, you know, we're sweating and the hairspray is kind of like drizzling down into your eye and, um, or then, you know, maybe the rain would come. And so now you're wet and, um, we, we had all of those experiences. And so you just kind of learn to fight through it and that you just work with those elements when you can lean into it when you can. Um, so if it's, if you've got an opportunity to mention that it's wet while you're performing in the rain, like just go for it. Um, lean into it. Right? Yeah. Lean into it. Fold yeah. it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so it, it was great in that way. Um, and part of that show too, was just trying to drum up people to come and see your show. So we spent a lot of time outdoors in costume. We might play a song on a street corner or, I mean, yeah, Galen, what do you remember about those days? Yeah, no, I agree that, um, like the, the two main challenges that I can think about for performing outdoors and I love performing outdoors, but, um, there's the comfort level, Obviously, because you don't know what the weather's going to do. If it's going to be super hot, if it's going to be rainy, um, there's, you know, that affects the, the comfort of, of the performers and the audience. Um, and there's just the potential for so many distractions. Um, because you're outdoor, you don't know what's going to happen. Is the sun going to be in everybody's eyes? Is, you know, a, a pair of ducks going to go wandering across in front of you? You, you don't know. Um, so it's it's exciting in that way because it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it's challenging. There may be some things you didn't expect that may, if you don't handle them right, become distractions. But if you do handle them right, there it's another way to really engage with the audience to say, hey, you know, if I can if I can make a clever reference to the the downpour that just happened or the the ducks that wandered in front of us, um, it can serve to draw the audience in and, and make it a little more memorable for them. So yeah, I've, I, I really enjoy the outdoor performances myself. Yeah, I love that. That's what I really liked about on the verge, the show that you all put on was mm. that there was a line about it being windy. Cause it's about the three um, ladies who are <laughs> they're adventurers. Like explorers. Or, yeah, 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 exactly. And so, yeah, and they, they're in the jungle. And so there are references to the wind. And so it was pretty windy that day. And I think it was Julie who has the line about the wind. And it was just, it really caught the audience because it was windy, really windy. And she made note of the fact that it actually was windy. So I think you're right. I think when you're in a show where the elements are a part of it, there are ways to make it that much more immersive and that much more fun for the audience. There, there definitely is an audience interaction element to it when you're, when you're outside um, because part of it is just that, you know, when you think about something like a sporting event, I mean, people go and sit outside for a sporting event all the time. They'll sit in all conditions, you know, blazing heat and, you know, freezing rain and, snow and football mm -hmm. season and it's just it's part of it they're excited they're there to like you know root on their team and um, with theater there's a there's a danger of it becoming 
almost stuffy because it's because it is comfortable and it's kind of cushy and you've got your little velvety padded chair and your little M&Ms from the lobby and it's great and all. But when you have an outdoor experience and you don't necessarily have a set, the audience kind of becomes part of the show in a lot of ways. They're, they're in it with you. They're feeling the same heat or rain or cold or wind that you are. It's, it's much more together. And when we did On the Verge outside at um, Bo's, Bo, is it Bo's, Bo's Creek? Creek Woods Park. <laughs> <laughs> so so many words in the name of that park um it's absolutely a beautiful setting purple mountains majesty <laughs> yes yes something something plains um and uh and it was you know just a, a beautiful setting i mean you looked around it looked like you were in a painting because just the beautiful prairie grasses and even though it was cool that day it was just just lovely and then we arrived early to set up. I think we arrived uh, around 1230 or so for a three o'clock show. And the idea had been because we're like, oh, it's the, you know, it's the middle of May, it's going to be lovely outside, we'll have a picnic, and then we'll set up and we'll do our show. And it was, and it had been lovely, except for that day, that day was cold and rainy. And it started to feel a bit like a sporting event. It was like tailgating. It was, you know, they had their coffees, they had their blankets, their, uh, they were all bundled together in the, the picnic tables. And it was really special. It was cool. Yeah. Because of the sort of randomness that happens with outdoor performances, you know, sometimes that creates some happy memories, but it also, I could totally see where it would stress out some actors and directors and things because... For security, I mean, if nothing else, for the the security and safety of some of the audience and performers. Because if you have an outdoor performance that has maybe fight choreography or something like that, and suddenly it rains for an hour straight before the show, and now the ground's all wet, and people are supposed to be doing some fancy footwork, like you know, that that's not something you had to deal with in in inside of the theater, but. It is an added stressor, I think, to to people who are trying to put on a show outside. So it can be pretty magical and pretty memorable, but it it can be pretty stressful too, I would imagine. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the model at American Players Theater in Wisconsin is, you know, that it's all outdoor theater and it's rain or shine. And you park your car really far away and you take this walk through the woods to get to your seat and you don't know what's going to happen. And I went and saw a couple of shows there um, October of 2019 and it was cool and it was rainy. And I think it's it's almost like pool rules, you know, that like rain is a little rain is fine, but if lightning, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. lightning might shut it down. Um, yeah, yeah. But they you know, they did the show and they had fight choreography and, and I'm going, what kind of boots are they wearing? Like, what? They're, they're clearly prepared for this. Sure. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they, they were ready to do what they had to do, um, which was, you know, pretty impressive to watch and inspiring. And again, as an audience member, for me, it really felt, um, yeah, like this neat, uh, immersive sort of, we were all in this, community together you know out there yeah, freezing and yeah. wet and watching the show it was cool yeah yeah 
Um, outdoor performances I've done, I mean, certainly I was involved in the On the Verge and the, some of the Strazi stuff. The only other thing I can remember right now that I've done outside is a cemetery walk. Have either of you ever done one of those? No. Tell us about that. So it's a performance, but it's usually in conjunction with some sort of historical society. And it's meant to be sort of educational. And so rather than a dramatic script, they research the people who are buried in a particular cemetery and they find interesting stories about them. Um, they, they pick prominent people uh, that maybe helped found the town or something like that. And they take their research that they've done about these people and they turn them into monologues where they hire actors. Well, they don't <laughs> hire implies you get paid. They get <laughs> actors to come and, and, um, uh, act as those historical figures. And so, um, my experience with cemetery walks would be that someone would reach out to me and say, Hey, you're an actor. You want to do this? They would give you the script, which was the result of, you know, research of actual real people. So it was kind of interesting. Um, it's like I say, an educational experience, um, but also a theater experience. And they would set you up, you know, near the, the grave site of the person that you're supposed to be portraying. And they would break people into groups and throughout the afternoon or whenever it was, little groups would come up and be ushered to you, to your site and you would give your monologue as this, this person. Uh, and then they would move on to the next next actor the next gravesite um but it was an interesting experience it's outdoor obviously because it's out in a graveyard and it's not really involved because it's almost always monologues um you may get the occasional you know couple that was buried together um but mostly it's just monologues but it's people who are interested in history and the one thing that i thought was interesting about it was that Almost every time you finish your monologue, especially if you're like at the end of the train, the last stop, um, people would sort of hang around a little bit and they would want to talk to you, mm. which is lovely in a way. But uh, also, they would almost invariably want to ask you like details about this person's life. And I'm like, I am the I'm the actor. I don't know. Oh. I didn't do the research. I wish I could answer these questions for you, but I don't know. Yeah, so that's um, another element of, of yeah. that type of outdoor performance is you don't have a backstage that you can run and escape to. No. You're there, you you're exposed, the audience wants yeah. to chat you up and ask you, you know, yeah. oh, so tell me about now his third child. What was his middle name? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. I... And, and, and they're lovely people. They're all very nice about it. But And I totally understand why they would want to you know ask follow-up questions, but I'm like, I can't help you. I'm sorry. I'm not the researcher, but thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> if you live in Elgin, you might know her as the King of Fringe. Most of us know her as a community-minded director and stage manager extraordinaire. This week, we are delighted to be joined by the one and only Tara Morrison. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us, Tara. We are really thrilled that you are taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is fun. We wanted to hear your perspective on being a stage manager extraordinaire, plus being a director out here, as well as being an actor in a few projects. So that's what we're here to talk to you about. So can you tell us a little bit about 
like the roles and responsibilities of a stage manager or what the roles and responsibilities have been for you as a stage manager specifically, because <laughs> they definitely differ from the conventional definition of stage manager, I think. That is definitely true. It's funny because I was preparing for a um, kind of an audition, I guess, to get into the Elgin Art Space Lofts about five years ago now. And that was one of the questions one of the judges talked to me about and said, well, you know, what is a stage manager? And, and so I had to think about it as like, well, you know, we do this and we do that and we do this and we do. And basically the easiest thing to tell you is that we support the director, the cast, the crew, and do whatever it is they need us to do, whatever will help them have the best experience in the theater. Um, so sometimes that may be assistant directing. Sometimes that may be reading lines as the actors are coming off book and trying to make sure they got it down. Um, taking down blocking, helping tech with lights and sound and telling them what they need to do and when. Uh, getting a crew if you happen to have a crew, if you're not your own crew. Um, getting them together and organizing. Or if your cast is your crew, which sometimes happens with our group, um, getting them saying, okay, you need to grab this piece at this break and you need to grab this piece and take it over here. And so that's, uh, those are the primary responsibilities that I have. That and, you know, calling uh, 10 minutes or two minutes or 17 minutes before showtime. That's, those are usually my uh, go-to times. <laughs> Keep the actors on their toes. They're like the conventional 10, five minute exactly. countdown. Did she just say 17 minutes? Oh my God, okay, thank you, 17. <laughs> I like to do the unconventional time calls. <laughs> <laughs> so going in the, uh, in the Wayback Machine, Tara, when did your love affair with theater begin? Oh gosh, um, I wanted, or I thought I wanted to act back probably about eighth grade that hit me. And I, because I was taller than most people my age, it's hard to believe now because I'm pretty much average now, but back then I was probably a foot taller than everybody else. Um, I got cast as a boy and I had to play my best friend's boyfriend. And of course got teased about it, you know, when you're eighth graders, you know, uh, got teased about that incessantly and decided that, you know, maybe acting isn't what I wanted to do, but I had so much fun in the theater doing that, that uh, I wanted to stay involved. I, I did do a little bit more in high school, but was never cast in anything. No, no big parts, really. I know there's no, there's no little parts, only little players, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. People kept telling me I should because I had like a photographic memory. I could memorize lines like nobody's business. That was no problem. But I, I didn't really feel like I was putting any of the feeling into it. So I, I didn't think acting was for me. And it wasn't until years later when I met Mr. Joseph Schumann, who was working uh, with 
Terry Domsky at ECC, Elgin Community College, um, that he, he was doing a lot of acting. And if I wanted to spend time with him, I had to learn to spend a lot of time with the actors too. So I would hang out and with Terry Domsky, no one, no one's there for free. So <laughs> he put me to work and he started me on my progression, I guess, to become a stage manager, a non-traditional stage manager. <laughs> but we started at the college painting sets. Um, I was a dresser for some of the shows. I got to, to dress some of the actors backstage, which when you're a, you know, 16 year old girl, it's kind of an interesting thing to do. <laughs> um, but I really did fall in love with it. And uh, Terry, Terry Domsky was uh, a big reason why, I think. You had mentioned that one of the roles that you've taken on in addition to being a stage manager is assistant director. Can you talk a little bit about how Terry lit the way for you in regards to being a, in a director or more of a um, leadership role in theater? I never envisioned myself a director. I always assumed I would be the crew, the stage manager, the background person. Um, I loved working with Terry and seeing, he was very, very creative. He was very, uh, he's had such training, very classical training, but he never stopped learning. So he also transitioned over into some of the modern day things, although I think classical was always more his style. Um, I just enjoyed watching him and seeing him work and seeing how a student would start out and how they would end. And the, the difference between the beginning stages of the early rehearsals to the final production was just always amazing. Well, I shouldn't say always, but mostly <laughs> always amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I continued working with Terry and um, Sean Harganon and uh, Joe Schumann, who I uh, married eventually. And uh, the four of us created Janus Theater because, and I can tell you, we created Janus Theater sitting at a booth at the Manor in Elgin at probably midnight. It was after a production that we had just finished at ECC. And we were sitting around drinking coffee and talking. And um, I think it was Sean who said, you know, we should, we should do our own thing. We should, because we want to do classical theater. We want to do certain things that aren't Neil Simon. Sorry, Neil Simon. Um, <laughs> so we sat around that booth talking and decided that uh, Janus Theater was going to become a thing and we were going we were going to do it. So it was kind of funny because we did throw around names and of course there was all kinds of goofy things that came about. And I, I think uh, Sean was the final deciding factor and there's still, there's still a disagreement on whether it's Janus theater or Janus theater. So <laughs> it depends yeah. on who you ask. I've noticed that. And it makes me a little self-conscious about saying it like, Oh God, have I been <laughs> saying it wrong this whole time. So I'm, I'm hearing you, my ear picks up on Janus. Mm -hmm. And Sean says Janus. Okay. 
and the Terry said, Terry always said Janus. <laughs> so I go by Terry. And can you can you share the <laughs> origin of that name? It is the Greek god of beginnings and endings, which we thought was pretty perfect for a theater company. You know, beginnings and endings. That's what we're all about. That's very cool. And of course, being a stage manager and a director or assistant director in a non-traditional capacity, you've also worked in a lot of non-traditional spaces. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like as far as not always working in a brick and mortar style venue? It's really funny because when we started out, we started in a cafe in Arlington Heights, tiny little cafe. And every night when we needed to do a show, we would have to move all the tables and chairs. So we had some space in the middle to perform. And the performances would be interrupted by the coffee grinder going or uh, the foam being made for the toppings of the coffee. Um, Customers coming in and the little bell ringing over the door. All kinds of unusual things like that that you had to deal with. People who would come in just wanting to get coffee and being told there's a show going on. You know, that's not what this is about tonight. We're closed for regular customers, but you're welcome to stay and watch the show. And it's funny, some of those people followed us for many years. Some of those random people who just walked in and didn't know what they were in for. So that was our beginnings. And I can remember, we, we did that for a while. We did a, an auditorium style outdoor. It kind of felt like the um, arenas, like a Greek arena in Arlington Heights. Um, that was really beautiful until the cicadas started chirping. Huh. And you couldn't hear the after stage <laughs> by cicadas. Nobody liked that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we had to wait till a certain time of night to start, or we knew we weren't going to be heard because the cicadas were so loud. Uh, We've performed in greenhouses, um, out on the lawns. We've performed in bars, uh, all over the place. And I always thought, I can't wait till we get in the real theater. I can't wait till we get in the real theater. And then we got in a real theater. We performed in a couple of real theaters. What real theater is in quotation marks there. We performed in a couple of places in Chicago to start with. And nobody came. And we realized that you go around to some of the other smaller theater companies in Chicago. And they had the same kind of crowds. And... It's like you worked so hard and we're driving back and forth from Elgin to Chicago every night for rehearsals and performances. And, and, uh, and it was great seeing it in that space and having that experience, but we lost our people. We lost the people who followed us from Arlington Heights to Elgin to Schaumburg. It, it just wasn't the same. And we lost that intimacy of having the crowd right in your face and to me that was really exciting and the raked seating really took that away so I was not disappointed when we went back to our abnormal style of in-your-face acting. (laughs) Very cool and and I definitely associate that style of theater with 
Janus Theater, um, or Janus Theater, as some may say, because <laughs> um, it is, it's a little bit more in your face, intimate. It's a personal experience when, when you see a show with that company. And when you perform a show with that company, it's, you know, uh, almost a surprising sort of jarring feeling at first to go, oh, the, the audience is right there. Like I could go and sit in that person's lap. And um, yep. just- and that sometimes happens. You'll sit in somebody's lap or you'll grab their hand or yes. just to engage the audience that much more closely. One of the first shows we did in uh, at Vale Street was the name of the little cafe. I don't think it's around anymore in Arlington Heights. Uh, Jack Helbig, who was a Daily Herald reporter critic for theater, uh, was sitting in our audience right in, I guess, what you would call the front row in the front circle of audience members. And uh, I believe Joe and Sean were doing a show together and I uh, believe if I'm, I could be wrong on this, but I think it was a Sam Shepard show. And Sean basically throws Joe and he landed on the table that Jack Helbig was sitting at. And so he is literally in his face. <laughs> and uh, we got, we got a, a, a pretty good response out of him. He followed us around for a while. And now actually we've produced shows for him. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about your acting resume. I know that you've had film and stage experience. Oh, no, not really. <laughs> no. Acting, like I said, acting is um, not really my, my forte. I enjoy, there's a couple of parts that I think are fun to do. Probably my favorite experience with acting it's a combination, I guess. We did Hippolytus, and we did that in the park in Arlington Heights that I talked about earlier. And our nurse, which is not a huge part, but it's a very important part, got sick and was hospitalized before uh, the final production. And I had one night to memorize her part because her costume fit me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went on stage and or on the sort of stage, I guess you would call it, and uh, played her part. Uh, they they did cut big chunks out of her part for me, but I had already memorized it as we were on book during rehearsals, and so I was having blank spots where they had cut out the words to try and make it easier for me. And I was like, no, I'm just going to say all the words. (laughs) (laughs) How awesome is that? (laughs) Because I couldn't in my head, I could see the page and there was these big blank spots where they had X'd out the words. (laughs) Um, But my, my biggest fear with that part was that I had to scream and I had to scream loud enough that some actors who were over the hill on the complete opposite side of the audience, behind the audience, could hear me. And I was really nervous about that. And I think (laughs) I actually kind of overdid it. (laughs) (laughs) I was very, very loud, they said. So I had no problem with that after all. (laughs) But I sat on um, part of the 
part of the role involved me sitting center stage on a stool and the lead actor, Hippolytus, uh, I wish I could remember, I think his name was Graham who played that role. He circled me, just berating me, yelling at me. And he was a wonderful actor and had this lovely accent. I think he was South African. And all I can remember is just feeling like I was getting a shower every night. Just spit, 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 spit. Oh, no. <laughs> but, it's um, the sign of a good actor. It, it is. But thank goodness we'd never heard of COVID in those days. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was probably that was probably my wildest experience with acting. But other things I've done were not necessarily acting. Like I didn't get a role. I wasn't cast in a part, but I took on a role. We we did a show. Uh, we did Hamlet actually at the Elgin um, Showcase, Elgin Art Showcase, which is on the eighth floor in the professional building. And we had done it in a style that it took the audience through different parts of the eighth floor. They went from the green room into the dressing rooms, into the tech room, down the main hallway, into different, we had broken the main room up into to different areas as well. And I was their guide. And I didn't want to ruin the experience for them by saying, hey, come this way, follow me, or hey, we're gonna go in this room now. So I stayed silent. I dressed all in black, of course, as a stage manager, and um, just would motion for them. And I, and I tried to make it as creepy as I possibly could. I think I actually scared a few people, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine because that experience in itself would be new probably to most audiences to have to do a progressive, you know, walking around to see parts of the show. So already they're probably looking over their shoulder a little bit like, what's going on here? I'm uncomfortable. And then here comes the lady in black. <laughs> Telling them where to go. <laughs> yeah. And then, but in the scariest way possible. In the scariest way possible. And speaking of scary, we also did a show, um, a walkabout which is a similar thing, except for instead of just different rooms in a building, you're actually going to different buildings in the city of Elgin. And we did, it was around October, and we did a series of Poe pieces. And I was only supposed to be a guide for the show. But one of our actors, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> oh. decided, decided that the Chicago Cubs playoffs were more important than the show. And she decided not to be there the night. And she had one of the biggest Poe pieces. Um, so she decided not to be there. So this other girl that I was working with, who just had a, a shorter poem, ended up taking over her part. And because I had been working with her, I knew her part. So I ended up playing her part. And you talked about unconventional spaces that we worked in. I was in the boiler room 
in the basement of the Blue Box Cafe. This room was probably, I can't even, I'm not good with measurement, but maybe, maybe 10 foot square and had a boiler in it. So there wasn't a whole lot of room and we had probably 15 people crammed into this room. And they saw a short performance piece by Kelly Bolton. And then it was my job as their guide at the time to turn off the lights. So we're all plunged in darkness in this tiny little boiler room. And I recite this poem by Edgar Allan Poe that was completely creepy and actually had some people leave. Wow. <laughs> they, well, they waited well. outside. They didn't like bolt completely, but they just couldn't stand the small space in the dark. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> it's an immersive experience. Yeah. Yeah. You it told that story and I, I feel like I can see it and feel it and smell it because Elgin is one of those cool old, you know, vintage um, cities that has these old buildings. And I can only imagine how creepy a boiler room theater presentation <laughs> would be. You know, be before um, I even started with Janus Theater, I stage managed, and I'm not really sure how I got involved with it. I think Jay Shirley was producing the show and she was someone we had worked with at ECC. And she had told her director about me and um, that I basically would work for free. So I think that's why I got the part. <laughs> um, but we did a Christmas show called Sorry Wrong Chimney, which is a comedic romp. If you've never seen it, you should. It's really funny. It's probably terribly dated, kind of a Lucille Ball type comedy. That's what I would compare it to. And we did it at a theater in Marengo of all places. It's in the middle of nowhere. It used to be a farm. I think it was a converted barn was the theater space built in like the 1900s and they did dinner theater. So you would have dinner in the main, like a big fancy dining hall, kind of like a pheasant run kind of resort, very fancy. And then when you were done with your meal, you would walk over to the barn where you would go see the presentation. And normally it went really well. And our final night, um, right before Christmas, we had a big group, 150 people were coming for dinner, for the dinner in the theater. And I think it was like Xerox. It was some big like computer printer kind of thing. I think it was Xerox. Um, the owners decided that night that they didn't want to be the owners anymore. And one of the owners was also the, the chef, the main chef. So oh, they left. Please don't tell me that you had to like play a role and then also cook the meal. And <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Justin had asked me once about the, the strangest things I had ever done as a stage manager. And I think that night was probably right up there because we had 150 people in this restaurant, one cook and two uh, servers. <laughs> and people were expecting a show to start at eight o'clock, a Christmas show. And it was a Christmas party for this Xerox company or whoever it was. 
And so, yeah, I was in the dining room bussing tables and helping, you know, pouring coffee and whatever I could do to help to get the people over into the theater. I think it was probably 1030 before we actually got to start the show. Oh, my God. And our producer, Jay Shirley, was up on stage singing Christmas carols to the people who had finished dinner and were sitting there waiting for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Another Christmas story that you've been a part of for many years is Welcome to Santa Land and the unique experience of being able to see a show year after year after year. And I just would like to hear what it was like watching that show evolve and how it did change as the years went on. Oh my gosh. Santa Land was uh, such an experience. And for anyone who's not familiar, it's David Sedaris did a, what was originally a one person monologue uh, about uh, a 30 year old man becoming an elf in Macy's Santa Land. And it was actually supposedly a true life story. I'm sure he, you know, exaggerated some things, but um, it, it is a wonderful monologue. But in the theater business, you know that one person shows are not real great sellers and we needed to make a little bit of money for Christmas. So we were trying to do some something that would raise some funds and David Sedaris's name will draw people in because he's a familiar name and people like him. So I think it was Sean's idea to take the script and break it up into seven parts and and give each of the different actors who were playing a part a different elf voice and a different elf name. And they took on their own personas. And it really evolved through the years because the first year we did it, it was it was a stage reading. So they all have their stands with their scripts in front of them. And the script was new to most of them. They haven't um, had a lot of rehearsal with it. We had some. And we were, we were told everybody was to dress in black and just deliver your lines straight out. There was no acting. It was just delivering the lines straight out. The words spoke for themselves. And I will tell you, we had people in the audience crying. They were laughing so hard. And I was one of them. (laughs) I was one of the audience members. Now we had from that show, different actors would fill in over the years. Um, Slowly we would lose people who would go on to bigger and better things or just not be into acting anymore. But we kept a couple staples. Joe Schumann was one of them. Patricia True was one of them. And uh, she came into the second year, but Kelly Bolton was in all of them after that as well. They were in a majority. I think Patricia True is the only one who's been in every single production of it that we've ever done. She wouldn't miss it. And and I don't think we could do it without her. Um, But it was a a very fun piece to see from starting out as that very straight delivery to, we almost took it too far one year. We had um, little extra bits that we added and, and it almost made it too much, a little bit over the top. So we reeled it back in the following year. And I think probably by year four, we, we had a good 
groove for it. And the people who would sub in who had never been in it before could fit in pretty, pretty well. Um, they would, they would find their place in the group. And it was just um, kind of a magical piece because it, it drew people who had seen it year after year after year after year. And when we decided we weren't going to do it one year, we, we got protests. We had people saying, no, this is part of our, our Christmas ritual. You know, we, we have to have Santa Land. Uh, it was David Sedaris's choice, however, to uh, pull the rights. So we were not able to perform it for a few years. And uh, the rest, I, I don't think I should share. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I wouldn't want David Sedaris's people to hear, hear me talking about it. <laughs> He's kind of a big deal. Yeah, Tara, Tara was on this little little podcast uh, put together by a few friends, and then she said a few things about David Sedaris, and she was never heard from again. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> we miss her. We miss her so much. Oh. The actors truly had to dress themselves and carry all their own props onto the stage and move their own set pieces because Tara was no longer a part of any theater group in the Fox Valley. <laughs> I actually got to be in Santa Land. Um, I think I think I only played in it once. We had somebody who wasn't able to make it in time, and I I filled in one of the parts. And I thought, oh, this will be easy. How many times have I seen this? I'm I have the script practically memorized. And then you get there, and it's like you're trying to follow along with everything that's going on, and people are reacting to what you're saying, and it's it was a lot harder than it looked. <laughs> it was a lot harder and you can't sit there and laugh the way I would in the audience but it was an exercise in readers theater yes. um, which is a theater I, I don't know if you'd call it a genre but it's an aspect of theater that we haven't really talked a lot about on our podcast yet like and you had mentioned earlier that it's the the actors do have their scripts with them there's very minimal blocking but you did see the actors reacting and playing various roles in the show, which is always a fun acting exercise to take on different parts, changing your voice and your physicalizations to bring multiple characters to life in the same piece. What was really fun about that was one year, we finally got it on videotape. It wasn't the best quality, but it was good enough that you could see what was going on. And the cast watched it and saw things that they had never seen before because they were facing the audience. So, and if you have seven people in a row, you're not gonna probably see what the person on the very end is doing. So it was really funny to see their responses to what was going on during the show. It's like, I never knew they were doing that. <laughs> he flipped off Santa, what? <laughs> That's always the bummer is, you know, when you're when you're in a show and you are missing the things going on on stage uh, and sometimes you're just backstage, you're hearing this uproarious laughter or, you know, oohs or ahs or uncomfortable reactions from audience members. And you're like, what are they doing out there? Sounds neat. I wish I could see. <laughs> As a stage manager during the production, it's the same for me. I work with you guys, you know hand-to-hand, -hand, shoulder to shoulder practically, getting the show ready, and then to have to stand backstage and just listen is very frustrating. <laughs> it's probably the worst part of being a stage manager. 
However, you have had the opportunity to direct and be able to see shows for a six to eight week building up process. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, you've, I know, directed Sunday on the Rocks. You directed Vagina Monologues at ECC. You even assistant directed art. So could you talk a little bit about um, the directing process as opposed to the process of being a stage manager? Yes. <laughs> um, like I said earlier, I never knew that I wanted to direct. I never thought that I wanted to direct. And it probably wasn't... I think the first inkling of maybe I might like this was during that Edgar Allan Poe show that I spoke about earlier, when I was working with one of the actors on a poem and she read it and it really didn't do anything for me. And, and in this case, Sean had asked me to work with her while he was working with someone else. And so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, <laughs> but then I just asked her, you know, what, what did that mean to you? What do you think this means? What do you think that means? And just talking to her about it for probably five or 10 minutes, we broke things down and, oh, okay, maybe it means this. And maybe we're completely wrong, but at least it has meaning now. And so then when she read it again, it was like 75 times better. And I was like, that was so cool. I was like, maybe I'd like this. That, that was probably the first taste that I got where I thought, hmm, I might want to do this. And then the final thing that pushed me over the edge was working on a show that I think had a really great cast and was a really great show and didn't have the direction it should have had. And that was so sad for me. And I kept thinking, wait, there's more, there's so much more that could be brought to this. And I brought that to Sean's attention. And I was like, you know, I, I just know this could happen and you could do this and that could happen. And he said, and that's why you need to direct. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You're someone who loves to see the process and you love to help people you're so fed by that and so I just feel like directing is such a natural role for you it's like a natural responsibility for you to take on because you know how to bring the best out of people simply by asking questions and not stating the way that they should do something or dictating the way that they should do something well, thank you so I, yeah no definitely I don't know how much directing you had done before Sunday on the Rocks, but I was like, my breath was taken away with that oh. show. I I, I'm sorry, was, but that I, was the cast. <laughs> the oh. casting on the, I, I will take credit for casting the people that I cast in that, but I really had to do very little work on that show. Those girls were phenomenal. They each brought to their characters exactly what was needed. Um, there were times when I would start to say something as guidance and before I could get, even get it out of my mouth, one of them would say it to me. And I was like, oh, I should have done this. And I was like, I was just getting ready to say that, but okay. <laughs> so that was probably the least amount of work as a director 
that I've ever done. <laughs> well, you say that, but as, as someone who was fortunate enough to be a part of that production and be directed by you, you did so much more than you're giving yourself credit for. It, it, it was not just us showing up and knowing what to do. You have a very, um, I think you're an empathetic kind of person by nature and anybody who knows you kind of loves you immediately and recognizes that in you, that you're just a giving, caring person. So when an actor comes into, you know, a, a rehearsal and they feel valued and respected and like the other person cares about them, it's a much different experience than when you walk in and you realize, oh, this person's a director because they like being in charge and bossing people around. And <laughs> I'm a minion and they're going to talk down to me and make me feel silly. And so then, you know, you maybe don't perform your best because you don't have this open, um, you know, safe place to play. So, and you, you create a very safe place for an actor to play. And that's why we were able to do some of the cool stuff we did, but you're right. It was also just, you know, it was a small cast and it was all women and we just sort of vibed. So you're right. It was kind of neat. Some of those magic moments of, Oh, Hey, and you're like, that was my next note. I wrote that. And <laughs> that, that stuff was very cool, but yeah, you're, you're a wonderful director. Justin's right. Well, thank you. And that was officially my first real directorial debut, I guess you would say. So I couldn't have asked for, for better. I, I just, I love the show. I love the cast, I, the whole experience. Uh, there is a funny story in there I'd like to share. We rehearsed that show in the, um, I guess you'd call it the gallery portion of the art space lofts where I lived. And in that show, we used a Ouija board. And so the girls were in the floor playing with this Ouija board when one of the residents of the building leaned over the balcony and was watching us. Well, I found out the next day he had reported us to the management because we were trying to bring evil spirits into the building. <laughs> Stop it. I never knew that. <laughs> the best part of that is the manager of the building is the one who gave me the Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> I knew something was fishy about that <laughs> building manager. Oh, Those cursed funny. Ouija boards. Wow. That's hilarious. I love it. Um, Tara, I call you lovingly the mayor of Elgin. And no offense to whoever that actually is. I have no idea. I'm sure that they are lovely. Thanks, Captain. Okay. Um, sure. Well, I'm sure that, that the mayor is lovely. But in my heart, you are the mayor of Elgin because you're the person that no matter where you go, no matter which you know spot you walk into in town, somebody is, oh, hey, Tara, and here, and I've got your favorite drink already made, and your song's playing on the jukebox, and... Um, it's just kind of this magical experience walking around Elgin with you. And I wanted to ask you, what role do you think that art and theater play in creating a great community? Oh my gosh. That is um, part of why I love Elgin as much as I do. And I didn't always. 
When I first met Joe Schumann, who is now my ex-husband, um, he, he lived in Elgin. I lived in Dundee. And Elgin boys were just kind of like, Ugh, you know, you, you, you didn't, didn't really want to mess around with the Elgin boy. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to live in Elgin. I never wanted to live in Elgin. And I think that was because the Elgin I saw was, was kind of dead at that point in time. Um, when Spring Hill Mall opened, a lot of the downtown businesses closed and went away. And it was theater, I believe, it was theater that brought downtown Elgin back to life. Not just theater, arts in general. I credit uh, Janice Theater. I think we did a lot to bring people into downtown. One of the best things I think we did was the walkabouts because we brought several tours several times throughout the weekend to all these different businesses in Elgin that they had never been in before because they thought downtown was dead. And we showed them that it wasn't. We took them to restaurants they hadn't been in before. We took them to bookstores they hadn't been in before. Uh, there were art shops and museums and things. So I think that was a big part of, of starting something. And as we got a little older and a little less ambitious with some of the, the things that we were doing, Side Street Studio Arts came in with all the energy, took on the arts as their full-time job. I don't know everything about them, but I know that they opened up downtown and they started this Fringe Festival, which I uh, was lucky enough to be a part of for four years. And the Fringe Festival was similar to our walkabouts, only instead of just theater, you were seeing artwork, you were seeing dance, you were seeing comedy, you were seeing a little bit of everything. It's a fringe. So you, their, their slogan was whatever happens, happens. And, and it did. <laughs> you never knew what would happen in a day and what kind of shows, burlesque shows or uh, punk bands playing in the street. And just, uh, I met some, some of my best friends doing Fringe Festival. I was a volunteer most of the time. I did house manage one year and decided that was not for me because that kept me in one place for the entire Fringe Festival. Whereas a volunteer, I could go and see different shows and take help different people and meet different people. And yes, I've, I met some of my very best friends that way. It brought people from Chicago. It brought people from, we had performers that came. I say we, like I'm part of Side Street. And I feel like I am in, in some respects. Um, just because I volunteered so often for them. But they had people from all over the country um, who, who came out to these to perform or to see their friends perform. People from, from the city, from Chicago and people from Indiana. I, I don't even know all the lo different locations. I know there was a guy in, from Texas and it was just so cool to, to see the town alive and hopping and people were laughing and talking and drinking and seeing shows and communicating about something other than television and it, it was just I love it <laughs> it gets me a little teary because it makes me think that we always started at Blue Box Cafe um, 
And as uh, most of you probably know, the owners there have both passed now recently. And that's going to be a really big blow for our town because they were a big part of it. Absolutely. Everyone who knows Elgin and any artist who has played in Elgin knows and loves Blue Box Cafe. And it's, it was a tragic loss. Yes, for sure. And we've performed in that space. We've performed in the basement of that space. <laughs> we know that place pretty well. Um, but yes, Chris and Kathleen will both be missed very much in the town. And I, I sincerely hope that someone who is as arts-minded and community-minded as they were, I hope will take over and keep it open, keep it going. Yeah, we hope so too. The Fringe Fest is something that happens internationally, correct? Yes. Yes, those do happen all over. I, I don't know enough information about it to really talk a lot about it. I really just mostly know about Elgin Fringe. I can tell you that Janus Theater did a Fringe Festival in London. And before everybody goes, oh, London, you have to know it was London, Ontario. So <laughs> that, that was really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but it was still so international. Yes, yeah, still a lot of fun. So we took a group up to London, Ontario and did a show called Keep Your Eyes Open When You Kiss. I believe that's right. And uh, it was very artsy and very fun. And we were very young. And... Uh, we ended up winning. We we won a, we won an award. <laughs> uh -huh. Congratulations! It was, yes, it was it was it was an exciting time. I'm really glad I got the chance to do that and did it with the people we did it with. So well, a lot of fun. And a couple of years ago, you also made some fringe festival history as royalty, if I recall, <laughs> when you were crowned. The king of the France. Yes. I was the king, and actually, I I still hold that title. They never named another king after me. I, I guess they nominated others, and and no one wanted it. <laughs> why would they bother? No, it's why would they bother? Exactly. Exactly. Else. There, there is one true king, and we all know it. Your own Game of Thrones. <laughs> I still have my crown. <laughs> Yes, that was, um, so they nominated, pe people got nominated, I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but they nominated certain people to run as king and queen of the Fringe Festival. And they did that for, I think, just the first four years. And uh, yeah, I was nominated the final, the final year that they did it. And basically prodded all my friends to get in there and vote for me. <laughs> you are the mayor it's easy that's right and so the, the winning two were uh jen Fakala, who is with the downtown neighborhood association and uh myself and uh, i guess they went by the most votes got the king and then the second most got the queen so that's that's why i was the king fabulous <laughs> long may you reign <laughs> I did return the corny like uh, robe that they gave us, though. I did, oh. did get that back, <laughs> just in case. I, I think they might want it for you know the history books or something. <laughs> sure, sure. 
They can't take away your memories, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, um, it was great fun. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask what you think theater is going to look like next. What's, what's coming up next for theater in our area? What's coming up next for Tara? That is, um, that's a scary question because I really, I don't know. I, I'm really hoping with the vaccine that enough people will get vaccinated and that maybe if we don't get rid of this virus, we at least are able to work with it to, to live our lives in a more normal fashion than we have these past year and a half, I guess it is now. Maybe not quite that long. Feels like it. Feels like many years. <laughs> yeah. um, as you know, Heidi, because you've been part of it, we have been working with a small group of actors, socially distanced, masked, temperatures taken, just workshopping different ideas and, and talking about the idea of what do we do and what do we want to do and what do we feel safe doing and what's safe for our audiences. And, and taking it all very seriously and knowing that the end goal is, is we do act again. We do have an audience again. It's evolved many times. And I think what we all agree on is, is it's time to do something real. It's time to use the words on the page and put them out there for others to hear again and not via Zoom, but I want to see some real faces and real bodies. And um, so coming up here soon, we are going to be doing a performance in a park. So it'll be an outdoor venue. Um, we're going to start small and hopefully grow from there. I'm just hoping it just keeps getting better and better. Absolutely. Well, for someone who thought it was a scary question, you gave a very inspiring answer. Those are Thank all things to look forward to, just being back together again. We all want that. Yeah. I, I, the one word that kept recurring during our workshops, I think uh, I might have been the first one to say it, and I'm pretty sure my voice cracked when I said it, but it was like, I just want there to be hope. And hope has been there through every workshop, rehearsal, whatever you want to call it. it it's that hope that there's something coming, something good. That's beautiful. It's, that's why we do this, right? That's right. And Janus is known for having small audiences, so it won't be unconventional for them to have 20 folks come in <laughs> and watch the show because it's all about having that intimacy with the audience. Yep, that's our, that's our style. That's, it's exactly. <laughs> so it's not unlike what was happening prior to our current uh, state of being. <laughs> Correct. We're almost COVID proof. Almost. <laughs> almost. I just wanted to thank you, Tara, for giving us, like I said at the very beginning, your unique perspective on theater, because very few people stand in the wings throughout the duration of a show and see the show from that perspective. And so it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective as a stage manager, an assistant director, a director, a props master, a costume dresser, a co you know, so we appreciate it. Yeah. I'm back there cheering yeah. you guys on when you're on stage, believe me. The best cheerleader. Yeah, we can yes. feel it. We know. 
fantastic, fantastic feedback afterwards of like, Hey, have you ever thought of this? And you're like, that's a great idea. I'm going to do it. Would you move your uh, arms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like a dummy up there. Move your arms. Oh, these things you mean? <laughs> uh, it's a pity that, that, you know, people listening um, probably won't even hear this part or, but it's really a pity <laughs> that they won't see it, but it's such a gift to us right now that we get to see it. <laughs> we got to see that. Yep. Yeah, thank My you. flailing arms. Thank you for that. that, will, that will... Go, go, gadget arms. <laughs> that will carry me through the rest of the week. Oh, <laughs> Tara, thank you so much for, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Again, thank you for having me. And I'm glad you're doing this. I've been listening and uh, enjoying it. So keep going. It's nice to see something or hear something other than a Zoom meeting. <laughs> And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Just For Show show. Our sincere thanks to Tara Morrison for sharing her stories with us. I'm Galen Malik. On behalf of Justin Schaller and Heidi Swarthout, I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you have questions, comments, or premonitions that you'd like to share with us, you can leave us a message on our Facebook page. It's called Just For Show Podcast. Or you can email us at justforshowpodcast at gmail.com. 